of seeking first your kingdom. I pray for bonds to be broken, for lives to be changed. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You guys may have a seat. Say hi to someone next to you. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with everyone on a Sunday morning to continue in the Gospel of Luke as we have been. Uh, before we get into the, today's text, I did want to make a couple of announcements. One uh, I'm really excited for this Friday, this coming Friday, we're having a movie night here, and we're going to be showing the movie Fireproof, which is a, a good one uh, uh, on, on marriage and on just uh, growing as a uh, you know, a husband and a wife, and, you know, for some of you guys who are, are single, it's, it's good lessons to prepare for marriage. So uh, I want to invite you guys to come out. It is going to be like a, a family night. Uh, the kids are also going to be watching, I believe, the Prince of Egypt in the, in the kids' room, so we'll have uh, some, some child care provided for that. So come on out, invite some friends. We are also going to have some food. There we go. That's it right there, the pizza. It's coming. Uh, and with that, uh, also, every Wednesday, we also meet here on our Wednesday night fellowship at uh, 7 o'clock. The movie night, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention, it's going to be at 6.30 p.m. this Friday. So men's fellowship is going to be on hold. Uh, and this coming Friday, the men will be helping out with the, bringing their families here. Also with that, uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday and Friday, uh, my family and I will be going on a, on a little break, on a little bit of a vacation. So Wednesday night and uh, the evening services that week will be um, postponed, but we'll be here Sunday mornings. We're not going to miss any Sundays, so we'll be here for that. And also with that, uh, leadership, uh, we meet here at 9 a.m. on Sundays. If some of you want to grow in, in serving and in leadership, uh, we do meet here on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., so I want to encourage you guys to come on out for that. Uh, so with that, Turn your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, as we continue now our, our study in the Gospel of Luke. The title of my study today is Seek First the Kingdom. Uh, before I even dive into this, if anyone has, uh, needs a Bible this morning, we would love to, to give you guys a Bible so you guys could follow along uh, as, as we study the Word of God. Does anyone uh, want a Bible? We could give them one. Okay, we got a couple in the back, three in the back. Um, Give Howard a couple and let him pass them out to whoever raises their hand, please. There you go. And I, I, I believe uh, also right right here too, Howard. Right there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. So in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, what we've been studying so far was Jesus was really giving it to the Pharisees. If you guys remember, Luke was documenting how Jesus came to the Jewish religious leaders of his time who were supposed to be like the church. They were supposed to be the leadership and bringing people closer to the Lord. But instead, the, the Jewish leaders at that time were actually 
fleecing the flock and, and misrepresenting God to the rest of the people. And when they were doing this, God gave them some strict warnings. He showed them the hypocrisy that was in their heart. Jesus would call them a, a brood of vipers. He, Jesus would call them, he'd say, look, on the outside, you guys look pretty and nice. But on the inside, it's like dead bones. And Jesus was giving it to them. You see, he was warning them that there is judgment to come. And last week when we left off, Jesus was reminding his disciples, but not to fear men, but to fear the Lord. You see, right now, what we're seeing on TV is people are dying for their faith right now in Afghanistan. And this is a, a real thing that's currently happening, that there are Christian believers who, who are giving their lives up for the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Christ. And right now, perhaps we're thinking, well, that's so far away. But persecution is going to come. The Bible talks about a, a time when Christians are, are, are going to be hated. All nations are going to turn against Israel. You know, I, I was this close to having us watch the movie Left Behind. And I, and I, I do like that movie, Left Behind, because it, it kind of gives an illustration of what the rapture might be like and what's going to happen when God takes his people out of the world. God removes the church from the world in that rapture. And there's going to be great persecution that's going on. So what I see in our life is now is a very much so a time to be serious about our walks, if ever before. People are becoming used to governing authorities having control of their life. And one day, the Bible teaches that we're not going to be able to buy or sell or work without taking the mark of the beast. The people who are left behind. And so we're, we're preparing for this, that Jesus is returning. He is going to come. So we have to look at what Jesus taught us to live our life. We have this Bible, B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. I've heard that acronym before. And it's true. And we don't need to be afraid of men over God. Because ultimately God is sovereign and has control of our lives. This is what Jesus then began to teach his disciples. We'll begin in Luke chapter 12, verse 8. He says, also, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the son of man, also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You see, we can live our Christian lives in a public way where people can know that we are believers, that we're saved, and we can confess publicly that we have faith in Christ. I think so many times we, we feel like we need to be undercover Christians. We feel like, okay, like, I'm going to get these people saved, and they're not even going to realize I'm doing it. I'm, just, I'm not even going to tell them that I'm a Christian, and I, I'm going to try to get them saved, you know, just by my kindness and my love, which, you know, God can use that. But... I think Jesus told us that we need to confess before men. We need to tell people the truth because the Bible teaches us how are they going to know unless someone is sent? 
Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word the Bible teaches. So we need to be bold in our faith. You know, at, at work, you're like, oh, I don't want to get awkward. No, get awkward. Get awkward with people. I'm not telling you to, to completely just make Jesus look like a fool. I'm not saying that. Use wisdom and discernment. But ultimately, make sure that the message gets across. So my first point for today, which I love giving you guys point, if you guys take notes, I encourage you to do so, to take notes, so that you can remember, these are the lessons that we want to take with us so that we don't leave here the same. Point number one, confess Jesus publicly. We want to be public about our faith. Sometimes it's easier on social media and out there in the world to be public about our, our sports, our fun activities, our whatever. For me, it's like surfing. But when I want to be public about my faith, that comes with now people's opinions, right? And am I going to worry about those or not? Those who are saved will confess Jesus as Lord because he has already put that faith in them. In that same way, that baptism, it's a public declaration to those who are watching that there has been an inward change. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He's not trying to say, look, by publicly confessing faith, you're saved. He's saying this is evidence that you are saved, that you're publicly confessing your faith. Because how are we saved? We know how one gets saved. We see that. John 3.16, everyone knows that Bible verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right? That faith. But what else does the Bible say about getting saved? How are we saved? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, there's no middle ground. You are either for Christ or against him. Jesus said it, and people struggle with this truth. People struggle even with the idea that someone can have a terrible lifestyle, be a murderer, a rapist, and, and do all these things deserving crazy punishment. And at the end of their life, if they confess and ask Jesus to forgive them and accept them as Lord and Savior, that they're going to get saved? People don't like that. How, why? How can a just God allow someone at the end of their life after they lived a, a life of debauchery and just wickedness, how can God save them? You see, first of all, I want to let us know this morning, we're all guilty. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God because this is the requirement for heaven. It's perfection. If we do not meet that requirement of perfection, then we can't get into heaven. So it's like, well, then we're, none of us are perfect. So how do we make it there? Remember Jesus, what he did on the cross for us. He took away our sin, put it on himself so that we can then enter into eternity. Imagine this. Imagine if 
you got caught robbing a bank. And let's say you even went as far as murdering people to do it. They had you on camera. They had the footage of it. They presented you before the judge. And they said, do we have all the evidence? You are guilty as charged. If you said, okay, well, but, but judge, your honor, um, I know I did that. But also with that, I, I've lived an amazing lifestyle of doing a bunch of awesome Christian church things. So um, please don't punish me for, for the, the robbery and the murder. Because if I look at all the good things that I've done in my life, that judge is going to say, I'm sorry. You have to be punished. You have to face the judgment. There's no amount of good works that we can do that are going to take away from the sin in our life. There's nothing that we can do. So we need that grace. We need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to be a part of our life. You see, secondly, I want to really emphasize how we are saved is that we're under grace. There's an acronym for grace that I like, G-R-A-C-E. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense, meaning Jesus paid for it all. And we get the, the riches from God. And there's a frustration sometimes even as Christians that we, we find ourselves trying to be coming better by our works. And trying to be faithful by our works. And when we do that, we're looking at our progress rather than relying on the grace of God. And actually, that actually holds back God's blessings when we seek to gain by our our works. The works of the flesh. So we need to get past our tendency to look at ourselves. And instead, we need to put our eyes on Jesus. Now, something that's important as believers is our view of God, who God is. A.W. Tozer, a, a Christian theologian, said that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because if you think that God is a squirrel in the forest, you're going to live your life like God is a squirrel in the forest. If you believe that God is a mean puppet master, in control and, and, and evil, then you're going to live your life like God is that way. But if you know the truth that God is an all-loving, all-powerful God, all-knowing, then you can have that lifestyle. You see, when you study the Bible, you begin to see God's attributes, his character, who he is. One of God's attributes is his omnibenevolence, meaning he's all love. God is all love. And whatever God is, he's 100% of it. There's no evilness in God. So God is all love. He's all good. We know that from 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And John writes, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And you've heard people say that God is love. Again, in Psalm 106, verse 1, the psalmist writes, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures only for a day. No, his mercy endures forever. 
God's grace and riches are, are, are available to us forever. God is always pouring out his love. And if God is always pouring out his love, the only thing that is stopping us from receiving it is ourselves. Because we can reject love. We can say, no, I don't believe that. I don't want it in my life. And I will rather go the other way. But God is all love pouring it out on us. Another important attribute of God is that God does not change. His immutability. You see, God is unchanging. God never loses his own integrity or lets others down because God is self-sufficient. He's perfect. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. And again, in Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. But some might ask this question to me. They'd be like, well, doesn't it say in the Bible that there was times when, when God did change his mind, when God was going to bring destruction on a nation and, and then he relented? That God was about to wipe out Israel. Perhaps you say maybe after when they, they made the golden calf. And then in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, it says, So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So did God change his mind? Did God make a mistake? This is something that we love to call an anthropomorphism. This is speaking or describing God in human terms that help us to be able to relate to him. This is the way that God communicates to us so that we can understand him a little bit. But it's not to say that God makes mistakes or that God changes his mind because God knows all things. A couple examples of that is in Genesis 6.6. It says, And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So did, was God like, oh man, I made a mistake. I should have never made mankind, and I'm sorry that I ever did it. No, God, God doesn't make mistakes. God isn't sorry that he made us. He's trying to relate to the, the emotion that he felt when he saw what man was doing by separating them from him. And again, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11, God says, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me. Does that mean that God was like, man, I, oh, I, psh, I messed up again. I shouldn't have set up Saul as king. No. Why? Because God doesn't make mistakes. You see, if we didn't know better from these verses, it seems like God is making mistakes, but God is perfect. See, the language that God spoke to man in was one that he wanted to relate to us with. And this is what I love, that God doesn't make mistakes. Because once I realize that God is, doesn't make mistakes and that he's perfect, that he knows everything, and that he's all love, I realize that he doesn't change, then I know that there is nothing that I can do to change God's love for me. No matter how deep into sin that I fall, no matter how many times I fall into sin, God's love will still be available to me. And I understand that I am eternally secure as I abide in Christ. But I can reject his love 
I'm given that free will. Even Stephen told the Pharisees when he was about to be stoned and martyred, he said, you guys always resist the Holy Spirit. Church, you don't want to be outside of Jesus. You don't want to be outside of Christ. You want to be in Christ, abiding with him, walking with him, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how can we be saved when we're outside of Christ? Which leads me to point two. We can reject God. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, I said this already, but Stephen, when he was about to be stoned by those Pharisees, he calls them, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit desires to convict the world of sin and to draw them into God, but they were resisting that work of God in their life. You see, there are people who believe that you can't resist the Holy Spirit, but Stephen knew that you could. You see, we have that free will. And God, because he gives us that free will, it allows for the idea that, yeah, there can be darkness in this world because we have free choice. But if you choose God, if you choose him, you can know you're saved. We don't have to walk on eggshells like, oh man, and be worried about our salvation, but we can know that we are secure in God's plan for us. Getting back into, I know I went on a rabbit trail with that, but getting back into Luke chapter 12, look at verse 10. Jesus was saying to them, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. See, Jesus is a forgiving Savior. Even when they were nailing him on the cross, when he was dying for the sins of the world, do you remember what he prayed for, for those people who were persecuting him, who were killing him? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Asking that God would forgive them, because Jesus is that forgiving Savior. Now, when Jesus is warning them about this blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, there's three things I, I want us to understand not to get so mixed up. Because sometimes we think, well, blasphemy against God, uh, it's, it's all one thing. You see, because sometimes we get it mixed up with saying the Lord's name in vain. That's one thing that we're not supposed to do. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. And that's when you hear people say like, oh, gosh, darn it. It's like, oh. Don't say that. And they use the word God in it, but that's saying the, Lord, the Lord's name in vain. Something we shouldn't do. No, it's against the Lord, against the Ten Commandments. Secondly, though, there's what, a, what is a blasphemy? And a blasphemy is to speak with contempt about God or to be irreverent, to be verbally in reproach of God's name, of his character, of his work or his attributes to go against what God's word says. And then lastly, we have here the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, also known as the unpardonable sin. Mark wrote about the unpardonable sin. This is the one thing that is going to separate us from God in eternity. In Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, 
all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. You see, there is a hell. Hell is a real place. And the fire burns forever. And as a pastor, it's my responsibility to let people know the truth. The truth with love. I tell people, look, we were already on our way to hell. But God gave us a way of salvation. His son, Jesus. See, I, I once myself believed, before I became a, a, a Christian, there was a time in my life that I felt that I had already committed the unpardonable sin. I felt that I had gone too far in my drug life. And that was it. I, I, the, say, the lie of the enemy went into my mind that I was too far gone. So I said, okay, I've made my bed in hell. And this is my choice. This is what I've done. And now I'm sealed in this way. But that was a lie from the enemy. See, Satan didn't want me to come back to Jesus, to his saving grace. But how deep will God go to get a person out of the pit? In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27, it says, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. See, warnings for people who are in the world, people outside of Christ. Back in Luke chapter 12, verse 11. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So this is my third point. Point three. God is with you in the fire. In that fire, that's the persecution. That's the trial. You see, God is preparing his disciples for their martyrdom. To be able to, to put themselves on the cross that God has called them to bear. You see, John the Beloved, one of the disciples, he had a, an apprentice named Polycarp. And Polycarp was a very awesome Christian who became a martyr. And you can read about the way he died in Fox's Book of Martyrs. You see, Polycarp was brought to the arena in Rome. And they told him, look, we want you to reproach Christ, to deny Jesus. And I'm gonna, or we're going to set you free. But Polycarp said, 86 years, I have served Jesus. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And then he began to threaten them. He said, we're, the, the Caesar at the time said, we're going to have you burned. And he would look at the, the guys who were going to burn him in the fire. And he said, you guys are threatening me? with a fire that will burn for a moment. But there is an eternal punishment that will burn forever. How am I going to deny Jesus? 
And then when they bound him, they tied him up and they put the wood around him and they lit the wood on fire. And as, as he was burning, it said that the fire wasn't consuming his body. And they were kind of in shock of like, why, why isn't he, he completely burning? He was suffering, but he, he wasn't, his body wasn't burning. So finally, he, they said one of the guards, hey, go pierce him with this spear. And he went to go pierce him with the spear so that they would finish the job. And when it did that, the blood came out so much that it began to distinguish the flames that were around him. He did die. But he's alive today. Seated at the right hand of God is Jesus, who stands for the martyrs that come up. You see, eventually these wicked men, they saw that this guy died in faith. In point four, you see, we have one life to live, right? So do not idolize possessions. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then one of the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now keep in mind what's happening here. Jesus is telling his disciples about the, the truths to live for the kingdom, to confess Jesus before men. And to have their minds fully committed to God. And all of a sudden this guy comes out of left field and he's like, Hey, hey, Jesus, uh, can you tell my brother to divide up the inheritance? And it's like, whoa, like what are you talking about right now? Perhaps maybe we're reading this and, well, yeah, you know, Jesus, he should be a, a guy who's about justice, right? Well, yeah, that is true. But Jesus seeing through this man's covetousness he goes straight to this man's heart he can see okay this guy is actually just being greedy look at verse 15 and he said to them take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses that word for take heed it's to guard yourselves you see, your life is not found in the temporary things in life. Sometimes we get so caught up with the money and success and the fame and pleasure that this life can offer us. And that's what our focus turns to. Oh, we got to have the job that is working from this time to this time. And, and even if it crawls into my spiritual life, well, it's important, right? It's family, right? Family first. But then your relationship with Jesus is failing. How important is it really then? And how are you going to lead a family if you can't teach them how to put the first thing first, which is God? In verse 16, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So now this parable, he's talking about this guy who's successful in growing all these crops, but then he has trouble on managing where to keep them. Remember David's prayer? 
David would pray to God and he would say, God, don't give me so much that I forget about you. And don't give me so little that I'm tempted to steal. You see, we want to be in that spot where God has us, what he knows that we're allowed to handle. In verse 18, so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, these are plans made apart from God's will or even acknowledging God's will. And sometimes we get in front of God. You see, sometimes we just want our way so badly. And in life, many of the times that I've seen when God takes something out of my life, it's for a much greater reason and purpose than I can build on my own. You see, because God made you for a specific purpose. And only you can do what God's made you to do. He gave you gifts that nobody's had. He's given you experiences that nobody else has. And sometimes we feel like, oh, like, well, man, like, I just want to be like everybody else. I want to fit in and I want people to, to, to like me and I want to be just respected and, and, and grow, like have this popularity. And then sometimes you look at yourself and you're like, but like, why, why don't I fit in? It reminds me of, let's say there was a, a penguin. I've met, perhaps I've heard, given this illustration before. There's a penguin who's trying to hang out with a bunch of eagles. And as the, the eagles are, are flying about and the penguin's trying to keep up with them and trying to chase them around and maybe he'll waddle over to somewhere by the cliff to like try to fly with them and he's so unsuccessful and he's like, man, why can't I just be like them and flying about around everywhere? And all of a sudden God's like, hey man, check out this Arctic Ocean that I got for you. And he jumps into the water and he goes so deep and is able to swim so far and realizes, wow, that's why I have these types of, of wings. These kind of more fin-like wings and these webbed feet. I wasn't made to be soaring high above, but I was made to go deep into the depths of the ocean. See, God has those gifts for you that only you can do. And as a believer, when you just allow God, when you let go of the things that you want in your life, and just allow God to lead you, man, that's when you're fulfilled. That's when you're like, man, this is what I was made to do. This is why I'm here on this earth. And when we are trying to do something apart from God, then we're frustrated. We're not living for God's glory and his pleasure, and we just lose our peace. So we need to be, make sure that we are in will with God. And not be so boastful as to say, oh, we know what's going to happen within the next few months. So many times I've in my life thought, oh, I know what God is doing. See, me and God, we got this tight-knit relationship and God speaks to me more so than he speaks to other people. No, that's not true. And sometimes when I run on that, I start to become anxious when things don't go the way that I thought they were, that the way that I thought they should go. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, 
James writes to us believers. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. See, making sure we realize that, look, God is in control. We're not in control. And wherever you see a move of the Spirit, jump into it. When you see the Spirit moving, jump in full feet, both feet. Let's look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, God is bringing to light, look, there's temporary blessings in this world and then there's eternal blessings. And the man in this parable would not have been satisfied had he ever gotten those barns. And look at the man in his mind too, in this parable, he wasn't even building the barns yet. It was just a dream that he had. Oh, that'd be really cool if I was going to build these barns. And he was starting to set his heart and mind on things that were not in God's plan. And it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. He said, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You see, when I, when I read this verse, maybe my mind goes immediately to those who are very rich and famous and have all kinds of possessions here on this earth. And they've gained the whole world, it seems like, but they've lost their soul if they don't know Jesus. But then I have to look at also myself. Because in my own life, there's a lot of successful things that I'm chasing after. And I have to wonder, am I chasing after Jesus or am I chasing after success in life? Using Jesus as a means of gains. I got to go to Israel one year, a few years back. And I got to experience being in the historical site, the Garden of Gethsemane. Now there's something super interesting about being there in Israel and just the, the crowds of people who are, have all gathered around to go see the place where Jesus walked. And all the people who know there know that Jesus really did walk there. But right outside of the Garden of Gethsemane, I was struck by something that I saw. As I was walking into the garden outside, there was these vendors. These Palestinians were carving out these little pieces of wood to make figures of Jesus and the cross and Jesus' face with thorns. And they were selling it to anyone who would come by and buy it. And as I saw this, I was kind of struck by something. I realized that these men, for the most part, I'm going to guess that they probably, because of the way that certain symbols they had on themselves, 
that they didn't believe in Jesus as God and Savior, but that they knew that if they stood here at this place at this time and made this little carving of Jesus, that they would be able to make a profit, a financial gain off of Jesus's face. And I saw that and I was like, wow, using Jesus as a means of gain. And you don't even believe in it. And I began to think about my life. Am I using Jesus as a means of gain so that I can live an awesome life here on this earth without really dedicating my heart and soul to him, without really wanting to have a relationship that, I, that is with him? You see, we, we've learned what it is to be used in, in this life. Maybe perhaps some of you guys have here felt like, like somebody used you. They wanted something out of you. And that was not a good feeling when you went through that. It brought pain and rejection and maybe at times just, just bitterness. But I think sometimes in my life that I've used God. And I've used Jesus. See, there was a point in my life when I, I, after being a Christian for a few years, I, I would come to Jesus. I would come to God. I'd be like, God, okay, give me. When I first got saved, I was like, God, I hate the life that I'm living. The drugs and all, everything in the world has made me empty. And, I, and it's just, it's killing me. So God, give me a new life. And God and Jesus came into my life. And they're just like, boom, here's a new life, dude. I'm taking you out of darkness. And I was like, wow, so awesome. Yes, this is good. This is what I love. This is what I like. So now God, okay, Jesus, give me, give me a call. Give me a, a ministry, something I can do. And God was like, okay, I'm going to put you in this church and give you the, the, the youth ministry. Why don't you serve there? And I was like, yes, this is awesome. This is cool. I like it. Yeah, God, you know, you and me, we're tight. We're good. And I was like, well, God, like, uh, give me a gift. Give me like a spiritual blessing okay, I'm, I'm going to use you to give devotions and to, to teach the word. And then I was like, okay, God, why don't you give me? And then I felt this Holy Spirit presence come upon me one day and say, hey, when are you going to come to me for me? When are you going to come to me because I deserve you? Because I paid a price for you. So that I can have you personally belong to me. Because thus far, it seems like the only reason you've been coming to me is because I've been blessing you. I said, okay, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And that changed things in my life. And it can change things in, in your heart and your mind when we go through those little phases. Because every once in a while, that temptation still comes back. To say, oh God, give me this, God, give me that, give me this, God, give me that. And then, God, you know what? What do you want? What do you ask of me? Where do you want me to go? What is it going to profit us if we gain the whole world and lose our soul? And that leads right into point five. Do not worry. In verse 22, it says, Then he said to his disciples, and therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, 
and the body is more than clothing. See, Jesus right here, he's telling his disciples, don't worry on the things that are temporary. Be faithful to what God has called you to. And then remember, there's another part where Jesus begins to talk about the eternal food, the spiritual food. Because they would come to Jesus, his disciples, and say, hey, you got to eat. In John chapter 4, verses 32 through 34, the, the disciples say to Jesus, Rabbi, eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone bought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, Jesus, he realized that that spiritual life, because we need food, our bodies need food. Our soul, our spirit also needs that food. And that food is to do what God sent you to do. Jesus continues on in Luke 12 verse 24 he says consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap which have neither storehouse nor barn and God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds and which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature if you then are not able to do the least why are you anxious for the rest See, worrying, it's not going to help us one bit when we begin to worry. It doesn't add to us. We don't get in a better spot by worrying about things in life. So let's fall back on what we know. Because we don't know what the future holds. And we could worry a lot about all the hypotheticals and all the possibilities of what's going to happen next week. But rather than focusing on that, why don't we focus on the truth that God loves us and has a plan for us? And walk in that trust. To fully surrender and abide in Christ. And there's a freedom in that. Where we no longer need to worry about the things of this life. He continues on in this. He says in verse 27, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? See, God takes care of these little creatures. Now, don't you realize how much more important you are than the birds? God loves you. You were made in the image of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Look, Jesus was God's son. And God, in order to have a relationship with you guys here today, said, okay, this evil world, I'm going to give you my son that you're going you're, you're gonna to be allowed to kill him so that I can have a relationship with my children here in this room today, this morning. That's how much God loves you. He didn't hold back his son. And some of you parents know the love that you have for your son. You, you would never in your life give up anything 
for your son or daughter. God did that for us so that we can have a relationship with him. And people that were worried about things of life, God says, oh, you of little faith. What's interesting, though, is that Jesus in another portion of Scripture said, if you just had just the faith of a mustard seed, you'd be able to tell this mountain to move, and it would be removed. So my last point for today, seek first the kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. In verse 29, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seeks after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. You see, God is going to bless you with what you need. And if there's something that you've been chasing after in your life right now, and you're praying for God, to God for it, you're saying, God, just give me this thing. If you don't have it, here this morning. If it's not in your life right now, it's because God doesn't want you to have it right now. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with God holding back on certain things in our life, on removing certain things in our life? It was Elizabeth Elliot, her husband Jim Elliot. They were missionaries, and Jim Elliot ended up giving his life in the mission field. Jim Elliot said not to hold on to anything so tightly that when God asks it of you, you don't give it to him. And he also said that a man is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which cannot be taken from him. See, when God calls us to give those things up in this life, those things are probably going to lose. They're probably temporary. But what we gain is eternal blessing. God said, seek first the kingdom, meaning of all these things that we have, family, career, academia, all of these successful things that we follow after, God says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things, I'm going to add those to you. I'm reminded of Solomon who, when he was leading the nation of Israel, was visited by God and God said, hey, ask me whatever you want and I'm going to give it to you. And Solomon said, God, give me wisdom to lead your people, your nation Israel, to govern them. And God said, hey, I'm going to give that to you. But because you didn't ask for riches, I'm going to give you riches also. He was seeking first the kingdom of God. You see, when I think of the kingdom In my, my head, I illustrate this reality that perhaps we were part of. Before we became Christian, before we were walking in faith with Jesus, we were part of a kingdom that was opposed to God. That was Satan's kingdom. We were once living in darkness, and we served a master who wanted to kill us, the devil. He wanted our souls and he wants to drag us down to hell and that was the kingdom that we used to live in and serve. And suddenly the prince, Jesus, came, the king, Jesus. 
And he took us out of that darkness. That Prince of Peace. And he took us into his kingdom, a glorious place. And he said, look, the king who rules here loves you. And then he set before us that table and and blessed us and gave us a new life, new garments and a, a, a completely new mind. And said, look, all that I have is yours. And as I was just loving that moment of, of being with this new king who loved me, I was warned. Look, there's another kingdom out there that is opposed to this kingdom. And you were a part of it and I rescued from it. So don't go back to it. Don't go back to that prince of darkness. Don't go back to the kingdom of the world because that world wants you dead. They hate you. But I love you and I've given you a place here forever. So don't go back. And I feel like I'm part of God's army now. He's king. And we're more than conquerors through Christ. These last three verses, verse 32 through 34. Jesus says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags, which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see these eternal rewards that cannot be taken from us. And it says where your treasure is, there your heart is. So where's your heart this morning? Where's your heart at? Is your mind and your heart on the things that are outside of what God wanted to speak to you this morning? There's still opportunity for you to place your heart and mind on him. Jesus loves you so much. There's that parable where there's a man who gave all his possessions away and bought a field in order that he can get that treasure that's in the field. And sometimes we think, oh yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to sell all of our possessions so that we can gain the treasure of heaven, right? But who really gave everything for his treasure? Jesus. Jesus gave his whole life so that he can take us, which is his treasure, and bring us to himself and say, I love you. I've bought you. You're mine. And a God like that has a plan for you. He knows what you're going through. and He desires you to seek after him first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be a part of your kingdom. Father, I I pray if there's anyone here this morning who feels like perhaps they've been at the gates of it and they're not in, in your kingdom yet, perhaps they're looking outside and wondering if this is even true or if it's gonna work or if it's real, may your Holy Spirit reveal yourself to them. If this morning you desire to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, if you want to commit yourself fully and completely and surrender all to him, I'm just going to ask you just to stand where you are. 
Just even raise your hand this morning if that's you. Amen. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, for Lord, for Father, your child, your servant, who by faith rose his hand because he wants to serve you. Father, help him to do so well. I pray, Father, that you'd fill his life, Lord God, with those eternal blessings, Lord God, that the joy of the Lord would be his strength. That he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and prepare him, Father, to be used continually, Lord. We love you, Lord God, and we want to follow after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Awesome. Well, I hope that we get to see all of you guys here on the Friday night movie night. We're going to be watching Fireproof. If you guys didn't catch that. We'll be meeting here Friday night, 6.30 p.m. I want you to invite your friends, invite your family members. And let's uh, just continue to grow in the grace of God this week. Just ask him how he can open doors for you to be used. And let's see what God wants to do with his people. the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I would be set free. Whoa, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Whoa. Amen. Be blessed. In Jesus' name.